This is a HeadGum Podcast. While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. Welcome to Overdue. It's a podcast about the books you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name's Andrew. These ghosts didn't bring presents. Oh, These no. ghosts didn't bring food to the potluck. Those ghosts did you an unkindness, it sounds they like. Really, well, they never <laughs> let me know if they were coming to coffee. I sent them the calendar invite. Mm-hmm. They never responded. It's more like a, a rudeness of ghosts, a almost. negligence of ghosts. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, as you surmised, this is a book podcast where one of us reads a book and tells the other person about it. And this week, Andrew, what did yes. you read? I read An Unkindness of Ghosts by Rivers Solomon. I hope we get to the bottom of the title of the book. Yeah, there is there is a point where in the book where the name of the book is said, it's not as like triumphant a moment as no. sometimes that that is that title card could be fun yeah (laughs) because the book is overall like pretty sad like pretty Mm. sure serious like not not that there isn't some humor in it sometimes but it is not a it's not a super light sci-fi romp okay i would say sure 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 um this so is it's not, not a, like it's not like somebody like trips over a banana peel and is like oh you know <laughs> this is an unkindness of ghosts <laughs> i prefer most of my titles to come from that sort of origin yeah. but you know mm-hmm. we're here um i have not read any work by river solomon but from my research they sound like a pretty cool author yeah uh, tell me more i will tell you more they were born in 1989 in california so i feel old just anytime we cover an author younger than us it's gonna happen more and more my friend yeah i hate watching sports now this 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 year maybe (laughs) i'll do nano rimo maybe i'll do it maybe this year whoa maybe this year will be the year maybe this year okay maybe sometime always always thinking that in like august and then by the time i get to november (laughs) i'm like wait what (laughs) yeah You have a notoriously busy fall schedule, and so I can't imagine you gearing up for another project in November. It just like I just need to get into a space where I can turn the the editing part of my brain off and just like oh, that's blast words into a document every day. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. I wish Mm -hmm. you luck. Yeah, we'll see. I I mean, we'll see if I follow through. I could help. Get some going in the Discord. I bet. Do you want to like? pick another month that you could do it instead <laughs> andrew rimo it'll just be a different month i thought you were going to offer to yell at me if i didn't write i will day. also do that but i would i'm offering to do that in a different calendar month okay. as well. we'll see we'll see we'll see <laughs> anyway uh an unkindness of ghosts is river solomon's debut novel so you know we'll talk about that um over the rest of this episode when did it come out 2017 17 is when I saw yeah mm-hmm. um their second novel, The Deep, sounds pretty cool. I mostly want to shout it out because of its origin. So, like, we've talked about authors who, like, 
and maybe we'll talk about it in this episode, like they have this like debut novel idea. They have this thing that they've been working on, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Solomon's, and in Solomon's, that- Solomon's case, it seems to have like a fair amount of like drawing on their own experience as somebody like on the, on the autism spectrum yep. and, and uh, somebody who is non-binary. Yep. Um, and so maybe is like more immediately like personal for, for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Um, also a person of color, like, mm-hmm. in, you know, digging up the history and, and bringing it into the future in this book's mm-hmm. case. Um, but they studied at Stanford and got their MFA from university of Texas, Austin. But a lot of those, those debut novels have that like, yeah, a lot of their own, personal thing and then like what is the sophomore novel what is interesting about the deep i think is it was based on a hugo nominated song Mm -hmm. by the hip-hop group clipping okay which is it's a trio of folks that david diggs is in huh that guy is in every he really that guy's in everything find me a group that he's not in and it was actually commissioned by like a this American Life producer because they were doing a whole episode <laughs> on Afrofuturism. Okay. All right, and sure. so they make this song. There's a whole article on The Verge by um, I think if you just search River Solomon the Deep and The Verge, you'll find the article. Mm-hmm. Um, but Novel Wolf from Saga Press uh, like took this song um, that is about like descendants from folks thrown overboard from slave ships. Mm-hmm. Um, who then like have an underwater society because they adapt to living in the ocean. Mm-hmm. That's the deep. Mm-hmm. Um, and this publisher, Novel Wolf from Saga Press, was like, this is a cool idea for a book. I should find an author. I just read River Solomon stuff. Let me go talk to them. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's neat that Solomon gets a second book. And it sounds like they really like dove into the material and made it their own but didn't have to be like, what's my pure, uncut second book? Yeah, sure. Which is kind of neat. Um, mm-hmm. And that one, uh, it was it won the Lambda and was on shortlist for the Nebula, Nebula and Hugo. And then Sorrowland is their more recent novel. Um, it's gothic fiction. It's qu- from one article it I read. It like it's from Hot Topic. Yeah, totally. It's, mm-hmm. It also has a lot of Funko Pops. Funko weird. Pops. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Almost the spiky the bracelets, yeah. yeah. Well, wallet chains. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> it is uh, quote about a young woman, um, as my books are, they say, who escapes basically from the cult where she was raised, a strict religious compound. So you can go seek Sorrowland out if you would like. Um, this book was published by the Brooklyn based publisher Akashic Books, which I note because they are the publisher of Go the F to Sleep. Remember that book, Andrew? Remember that book <laughs> yeah. swept the nation? Yeah, I do remember it. What a weird like, time that was. <laughs> like twenty ten or twenty eleven. Yeah, it's and I think it it's our generation coming into parenthood and being like, but we're the we're the we're we're not a regular mom, we're a cool mom. Yeah. <laughs> we have we read but we have books with cusses in them. When it was so it's also it also twins with this like Trump era thing where there this is just this whole cottage industry of kids books who are clearly for virtue signaling adults and not for children. Uh, (laughs) Well, I also it's straddling that and the previous era of like when Barnes and Nobles like Barnes and Nobles when like Walden books and like just bookstores other than Amazon. Mm-hmm. were still around, like chain bookstores mm-hmm. that would have that kind of novelty book section. 
Mm-hmm. And then you'd see some of them bleed into the kind of where like like the precursors to World War Z came from, like the stuff Max Brooks was writing. Sure. Um, so this book is published in 2017, as Andrew said, debut novel, finalist for the Lambda, um, and was responsible for Solomon getting shortlisted on the Campbell Awards list for new writers. It wins a Firecracker Award for the Community of Literary Mags and Presses. Overall, a very well received book. Uh, that I received it well. I'm Add that to the list of accolades. Overdue podcast says pretty good book. <laughs> um, there is one thing about the sci-fi like style of this book because it is. I'll be interested to learn if it's like clear what future it's based on. Mm-hmm. Right. This is an interview with the Rumpus from 2017. Where Solomon says, some of my favorite sci-fi worlds are informed by this aesthetic. This is the aesthetic of, like, kind of the Star Wars aesthetic of, like, broken stuff. The OG Star Wars aesthetic. Yeah. Where it's all run down. Mm -hmm. Um, But visions of the future often leave out the ways that the past persists in the present. And that's also talking about, like, the clean, like, Apple Store sci-fi. I set out to write a story that resisted that inclination, actively engaged history, its styles, social mores, technologies, and so on. When designing the layout of the ship as well as its culture, I began thinking about those places in our own lives where what's come before collides with what is yet to come. Resale shops, garage and estate sales, old churches, small batch distilleries, a psychic's hole-in-the-wall shop... I remember my time in rural Arkansas picking blackberries after Sunday services where women and men had sung century-old songs. I thought of my mother's two or three childhood books that were saved from a basement flood on the shelf next to French-language tapes we listened to during our morning commute, next to a phone that has capabilities unimaginable 60 years ago. Yeah. Generations of technology. I don't know if that resonates here. You think, you, you think they're, uh, the French-language tapes they're talking about is... Muzzy, muzzy. <laughs> yeah. it could be. I mean, it could be muzzy. Could be. That's true. Um, and the name of the what is the name of the ship? Is it the Matilda in this the book? Ma- the Matilda. Yeah, it is a uh, reference to the Clotilda, which is uh, as uh, Solomon says in the interview, with the last known ship to carry enslaved folks to the U.S. So yeah, of the transatlantic slave trade yeah. i believe which is yeah also what the what the deep is kind of about it's something that is in the sort of one line bio that solomon has like written about themselves as they, they say a refugee of the transatlantic slave trade huh. so clearly okay. this is something that is like that really resonates for them as a theme oh sure yeah. um as a just a neat aside like Andrew, that specific yeah. aspect of, of yeah. slavery yeah. i mean yeah um i did find an interview where they said a lot of interviews where they're like, "Oh, a brand new author who's like hot. Like, what is what what book made you want to be a writer?" And they were like, "I don't know, like all of them, but also, I guess if you're making me answer, I'll say the Secret History. <laughs> <laughs> Just a fun choice. I know yeah. we've had our time with that novel. Yes, and I, I'm glad that I came around on a little bit on a second read. Hey, in, instead of yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was a whole experiment this year. Go back and check out our do overdue episodes if you haven't. Mm-hmm. They were back mm-hmm. in like February." Yeah, who knows? That's when we did that. I time think. has been time has been weird this year. Yeah. Speaking about weird time, let's take a break and come back and Andrew can tell me about this book. Okay. This episode of Overdue is sponsored by BetterHelp. Andrew Craig. Just like you felt uncertain about what's coming next, right? 
Yeah. Just all ever. the time. Mm-hmm. And it's now, not, now, previously, in the future, I'm sure I will feel this way also. Yeah. Like, and I don't just mean like you don't know where the GPS is taking you. I mean, mm-hmm. like. <laughs> Wait, what GPS are you using? <laughs> some point when you can't see more than one turn ahead. Like, sure. Okay, you don't know yes. what it's going to, what exit will it ask for you next. It's asking okay. you to change lanes. Why is it doing that? Mm-hmm. I thought you just get in your car and you hit like the big random button on your. <laughs> on your gps and it's like all right where are we headed honestly sometimes that sounds easier than actually working through where i want to go myself <laughs> mm-hmm. um whether you are aboard a spaceship in the future or living your daily life here on earth sometimes you face tough decisions and you don't know which way to go uh and when you're caught up in actually like dealing with the situation it can be hard to get perspective and think through what you want to do about it uh therapy is a great tool for doing that better than the random button on your gps which yep. i'm gonna go find in the morning mm-hmm. and use uh, the i'm feeling lucky button on your <laughs> on your gps uh people in my life have benefited greatly um from tackling this type of uncertainty through therapy talking about what they value what their goals are a good therapist can help you plot the path forward uh making whatever future you want more possible so if you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. Conveniently, it's entirely online and designed to fit into your schedule. You just fill out the brief questionnaire, and then you get matched with a licensed therapist. So let therapy be your map with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com overdue today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot slash overdue. So... Andrew, I yes. know this is a work of fiction. It is. It is. That wasn't a that wasn't a like a surprise. <laughs> I was not surprised by the thing you said. It Good. Is a work okay. Of great. Okay. Yes. Um, what is the premise of this particular sci-fi future that we, the reader, find ourselves in? Uh, so Susanna asked me what I was reading. Great for this week. And uh, so the did one, I. One sentence synopsis that i gave her because i was not like recording an hour-long book podcast with her about it was like what if the ship from wally but like it was kind of sad and it and it reflected many of the racial and class divisions that (laughs) that are present in our society today oh boy so imagine that okay it is a it takes place on the Matilda. It is a big ship that uh, of I, they never like come out and say exactly what the design of the Matilda is. If I had to guess, it seems like roughly spherical. Um, but yeah, it's it is a big spaceship headed to who knows where, fleeing from uh, a ravaged planet that is not inha- not habitable anymore. Okay. Okay. And, uh, and but yeah, like the, there are. Um, a bunch of like the, the decks are the letters of the alphabet and the upper decks are where the rich white people live. And the lower decks are where like the brown and black yeah. uh, downtrodden uh, working class people live. Okay. Yeah. I'd heard, um, I'd heard the antebellum South comparisons in some of the articles I read. Yeah. Yeah. Like lower deckers. Yeah. They tend to be black and brown people to the extent that there is social mobility at all. It comes in the form of lower deckers who are light skinned enough to pass and, yeah, how how would these people with brown and black skin be giving birth to to children who are light skinned enough to pass? Oh, I wonder what could be uh, what horrors could be sure visited upon them by the upper class on the ship to to make this possible. So, um, our main character is uh, her name is uh, Aster. Yep. Um, 
like Solomon themselves, seems to be on the autism spectrum. Like markers include like delayed speech, um, an inability to lie and read like facial and social cues. Um, she talks about in in the book, like toward the end of the day, just being like out of energy to modulate her natural like bluntness for the comfort of others. She she says, I'm paraphrasing, but that's yeah, pretty close to the quote. Was- um, there was a quote. And the, yeah, like trouble looking people in the eyes and requiring like precise language to understand and to be understood by the, people. The yeah. precise language thing is something I saw it referenced in a Strange Horizons review, talking with a character that is like, you know, says something to the effect of, you know, what have I done but keep you safe? And Aster's mm-hmm. like, well, like, you eat stuff and like <laughs> yeah. did you like you, the sandwich you, you had did yeah. that keep you safe <laughs> you bathe your you bathe yourself mm-hmm. um or but, like she has a the other like big main character in the, the and there are a few we may or may not get to get to all of them but the other sure. like big consequential friendship that she has is with Theo who is also the surgeon general upon this upon the ship kind of sort of the second in command in a way he has like a lot of a lot of power and a lot of sway um both of them are um like on the on the subject of pronouns like aster is consistently a she theo's consistently he but also like they are both described as like not fitting neatly within those boxes and it like causing problems for them with other people on the ship um there's a here's the quote um, this is Theo, perhaps because I'm not a man at all. He sat closer. Now the sheets wrinkled as he scooted himself toward her. I, you gender malcontent, you otherling, she said, the fog of anesthesia wearing off. She could see him clearly now, the curl of his lashes, the white flecks of skin over his dry lips. Me too. I'm a boy and a girl and a witch all wrapped into one very strange, flimsy, indecisive body. <laughs> Do you mm. think my body couldn't decide what it wanted to be? Uh, Theo says, I think it doesn't matter because we get to decide what our bodies are or are not. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, like pronouns are unambiguous, but the the it's yeah they don't fit neatly into boxes uh, like that. But um, so I've now having established Theo, I'll go back to what we were talking oh, sure. about. Yeah, sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. Is um like when Theo is in the presence of someone like a, a guard on the ship or someone like higher up, and he is sort of disguising what his friendship with Aster is like there's at a point where he calls her an acquaintance mm. and she takes that super literally and is like well I mean if we're just acquaintances like should I be doing all this stuff for you like <laughs> is this the kind of thing that acquaintances do for each other and it's a little bit like you get a small sense that part of her knows that it like that's not the spirit in which he meant it, but also she really struggles to like. Yeah, sure. She she is she struggles to like in, really internalize that and and feel the truth of it, you know, until he sets the record straight in more like precise literal language. Later. Was, so it's it's an interesting quality for a main character to have because it's it's something that drives a lot of the action. I think is kind of her. L- it it reads sometimes almost as like a lack of a self preservation instinct, but mm. just her that that inability to be like uh, imprecise uh, or in, it's it's I want to say like political or no. or like it um 
to be to, to to yeah to lie for other people's comfort or whatever like the little white lies that people that all yeah. of us use every day to get, I think you're right to, to just to... like get through social interactions like th- that aspect of her character is one of the most like memorable and interesting things it's about interesting her, to think. hear yeah. it described as like a lack of self-preservation instinct because like yeah in especially in fiction that is a lot of how like characters deal with indirect language where it's like vague threats and yeah you know or crypt i was just thinking about all the like the um the prophecy stuff in percy jackson that's all like Mm -hmm. well this line could mean three different things and like that's gonna you know you're gonna need to think about that and you know work around it there's Mm -hmm. the this is a the strange horizons review by megan milks which i just mentioned i'll shout out again it also shouts this element out this relationship out in specifics by saying where another author might exploit these communication glitches to drive a dramatic wedge between them solomon demonstrates the ease of repair aster asks for clarification theo provides it and adjusts to aster's needs yeah Mm -hmm. it's just neat and it's it seems sounds like it might be kind of refreshing because yeah Yeah, this is the type of thing that tropally is deployed to like maximize misunderstanding even when Astra is at her most sort of self-destructive in terms of like the, the actions that she's taking, because it's, she is a, she's a lower decker. She's kind of an apprentice of Theo's. She has like pretty serious, like medical expertise and skill. Mm. And she's the kind of lower decker who can't, who, who could sort of be, you know, made acceptable, palatable for the people on the upper decks, despite sure. the, the way she looks, if only she, you know, would act the quote unquote right way yep. and her like inability to like modulate and to, to, to tiptoe when she's being asked to tiptoe and lie when she's being asked to lie. Like, yeah. Okay. Sure. Um, yeah. But, but between her and Theo, yeah. Like Theo never, it's, it's never, a. Like Theo never takes super seriously those moments when there is a misunderstanding That's cool. between them because because yeah he he is aware of just like how Aster is and he that changes his actions to sure okay yeah to account for that yeah what is the is there like an inciting incident I've heard a lot like a lot of praise for the world building I haven't in the like cursory review reading I was doing like I didn't see too much about like what the plot was yeah it's like i think that is because the plot like the plot is there but it's much more a character study about aster and like uh how the society is is reflecting our own back at us but there is you know there there is an inciting incident there is an ongoing plot we'll talk about it Um, okay only other like big world buildy things i wanted to talk about like up front are like the different decks frequently have their own dialects. There's, there's both like a high and middle and low like dialect, but then also individual decks will have their own uh, peculiar peculiarities of, of language or their own ways of like referring to things like the, the the deck that we open on, like everybody is referred to as them, like regardless of how they're presenting. Um, But and sometimes we get snippets of things like said or written in the actual dialect Huh, uh, the, okay. the book the book itself is written, you know, in in an English that you and I can understand. Sure. Okay. But yeah, there was a it was a that that sort of dialect is a feature of a lot of like post-Civil War American black communities in yeah. the, in like the South especially, so I thought that was neat. 
Um, and then at the center of the ship is something called, and then this will get us into the plot, something called Baby Sun. What? Imagine imagine a son that came up to you and was like, I'm Baby. <laughs> <laughs> what does Baby Sun mean? Baby Sun is in the uh, roughly in the middle of this ship, generates energy and also uh, helps like grow food. Like the, you know, like the real sun, but also slowly irradiates anybody who like is tasked with maintaining it or like working under it, so which is, is like, also kind of like, like the real sun. It's like a <laughs> controlled like nuclear explosion inside something, of their ship. Something like that. Yeah. Wow. Baby sun. I guess that, that, that <laughs> when you said it was like a sphere, my first thought was that it was like. Well, then the Dyson sphere, but that can't be a ship because it Why, goes around yeah. a star. Why I say it's a sphere is because there's the sequence where, so the, the, as the book opens, we are, the lower decks are suffering these kind of like blackouts that have got, you know, everybody's super cold. Mm. Uh, nobody's like getting enough to eat. It's a, it's bad. It's a bad scene. It's the first time this has happened since like 25 years before where the lights also went out. Okay. Um, and we'll find out why later, but all the ship's okay. energy is Jeez. all this, all the ship's energies come from baby sun. And there's this <laughs> sequence where they are going to sort of the agricultural deck where everything is, is grown and it all seems to be kind of like revolving around baby sun. And there's a moment where the power goes out and everybody just like starts kind of falling everywhere because mm. like, <laughs> because because whatever it is that keeps people like standing upright on these like platforms that are orbiting baby sun it, like yeah it stops working and so like tools are going everywhere and people are falling down and yeah <laughs> i wonder it's like it sounds like it might be the the centrifugal or centri- yeah. whichever one yeah that one that form of of artificial gravity where because it's because you're rotating yeah Mm-hmm. You're getting gravity out of it. Well, also, yeah. now you've got Baby Sun in there, which probably has got its own Sun. gravitational field. I'm not sure. I don't know if Baby Sun has gravitational fields. Well, baby Sun listen, just baby Andrew, Sun. everything has a gravitational field. I don't know yeah, you know but that. I don't know that Baby Sun has enough to like be to like hold you to, to like exert its pull on a person. Fair enough. Near it. Okay, but I like Baby, baby Sun. Sun. <laughs> baby Sun is Baby. Okay, the way you keep referring to it, do people call it Baby Sun? Yeah, they call it Baby Sun. Okay. Are any of the letters intercapped? No, it's two words, baby son. Capital letters? Capital letters, baby oh, son. Oh, heck yeah. Okay. Yeah. Is <laughs> it's it called like, baby son. Does it have character vibes? Like, does no, it, it have a like, personality? No, it doesn't have a personality. Okay. We don't really spend a lot of time, like, talking about baby son or hanging around baby son. It's just, like, baby son generates well, the energy the for this ship. book hangs around baby son. The... the <laughs> It generates the energy for the ship, so we hear about it a lot. Great. Okay. Baby, baby but, uh, but there have been problems now. There have been problems with Baby Sun. <laughs> I'm, listen. <laughs> Got to change the diaper? That's a problem with my Baby Sun. That's you know? a problem with your Baby Sun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you do have a lot of experience with your life sort of revolving around a baby, a Baby Sun. It's mm-hmm. the last nine months of my life. Yeah. Okay. Continue yep, yep, with. Yep. So the, Okay, so stuff's going wrong. Stuff also went wrong 25 years ago. Um, yes. So, uh, Aster is, uh, an orphan, like her mother died as far as we know, 25 years ago. She has all these like journals of her mother's, but they don't really make any sense to her. 
Okay. And she had, she assumes that's just because her mother like was having some kind of a breakdown or something. She doesn't really understand why things are written the way that they're written in her mm. mother's journals. And so Aster is kind of puzzling over the, the, the meaning of these journals and thinking about her mom. And Theo comes down to Aster. Um, and they had, they have a long working relationship with this at this point, like this, it's a, it's clear that these are two characters who know each other. Like Aster often moves about the ship under like Theo's authority to help people who are having issues. What is Theo's authority? I don't um, know if you've said. A, I, we, I talked a little bit about how he's functionally the second in command. He's the, like the surgeon general upon this ship. Okay. That's, and okay. he's, um, and the ruler is the sovereign. That's what it's called. Yeah. Why not? And at the outset of the book, Theo comes down to Aster and he's like, sovereign's sick. It's pretty bad. Would you like to come help me slash? Are you the one who did this to him? Uh Oh, <laughs> is Theo white or is Theo? Theo is uh, very light skinned. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Like passing, passing for white. Okay. So he's we, coming down to find out what's up with Sovereign. Yes, and then we learn later that that um, Theo was like the the son of like uh, Aster's like surrogate mother, like surrogate oh. aunt character. Okay. It's we're we're not going to get to talk about uh, her name's Melusine. We're not going to talk about her whole lot. I don't think, but yeah, she's kind of a neat character. Okay. Um, and Aster's like, no, I don't. I didn't do this, but I'm also not going to help. <laughs> And Theo describes these weird symptoms that the sovereign, whose name is Nicholas, I think, um, is is having. Um, and he's got like his irises have gone like jagged. No. And he's just like sick and it's bad. And while Aster is thinking about this, she comes into she comes into her room and she's got this friend named Giselle who has also got a lot of issues. <laughs> okay. Um, not going to talk a lot about Giselle either. I don't think like all these characters come up and are like definitely part of like Aster and Theo's like backstories and some things that like happen to them or because of them are catalysts for like action in the book. But in the, you know, in the, in the space that we have probably not going to be able to go like blow by blow with them. Okay. But um, so Giselle is, comes in so she has kind of overheard this conversation between Aster and Theo and Aster comes back and and Giselle's like man did, so did Theo come to you because this thing that the, the sovereigns going through sounds like what happened to your mom and Aster's like what are you talking about oh god and Giselle is like did you not like I read your mom's journals all the time did you not know that they're written in code <laughs> huh Okay. And so there's like, it turns out that there's all this, like any time that Aster's mom's journals are talking about L deck, she's talking about like herself mm. because her name starts with an L. <laughs> sure. And it's, um, so she has her, her eyes open to the true meaning of the, these journals. And it turns out that toward the end of her life, um, she also was going through these same weird things that the sovereign seems to be going through, like weird th- things with her eyes. Like she's hearing sounds that aren't there. Um, it's just not, she does. She's not feeling very good. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the, the sovereign dies and it, and Theo is doing an autopsy. And so 
the the other thing that that Theo floats with with Aster when he's trying to get her to come help the sovereign is like, did you know like how much worse the guy who's going to replace him is? Like, it's going to be pretty bad. Oh no! I was going to um, ask like who's yeah. up next. So his name his name's the lieutenant, um, and we'll just talk refer to him as the lieutenant throughout. This feels like this not a, a trope. Feels like it it cheapens it, but this is a a type of occurrence i've seen in other like i remember i don't know if it happens in kindred by octavia butler but in there's other a, there's a Redwall book it kind of happens in where like a a mean but essentially like reasonable on some level yeah like ruler dies and like a real despot takes their place and i feel like that's a thing in like slave narratives in particular too where there's like there was a guy who was like you know, he still owned people. Yeah, he still owned people, but he was like, he was not as bad as some people. But now his crappy son is yeah, in charge. Yeah, his fail son has come. <laughs> his yeah. baby fail son is here to be a wicked racist mm-hmm. worse than before. Mm-hmm. And that sounds like what we're in for here. Yeah, something like that. Okay. Yeah, for sure. Um, so uh, Theo and Aster are doing the autopsy on the the dead sovereign, and Aster comes to the realization that he's had some kind of heavy metal poisoning. Um, yeah, listen, listening to too much Metallica in his. <laughs> and this is, you know, this is mostly interesting for Aster insofar as like things that. The you know whatever the the sovereign died from could give her some insight into what happened to yeah. her mom. Yeah. Um. So she and w- with the help of Giselle, like finds this basically this sort of vent that goes all the way up to like the the top of the ship where the I control vent. area used to be. It's just like a hidden like yeah. <laughs> it's just like a hidden area where they used to control how the ship flew. Okay. Um. And that tracks with your Wally analogy. Like there's a hidden vent. Yeah. Just sure. go right to the top. But what, what, so Aster knows, okay, the, the sovereign died from this heavy metal poisoning. And it also has to do with like the areas of the ship that the sovereign like specifically has access to. Like oh. he has this little sort of like party room where he can go in and there's like a window and he can look out on space. So it's like some combination of whatever metal he was exposed to and like his exposure to radiation from outside of the ship Great. made him die. Great. Um, and so how could this also have happened to my mother? Like what, can, well, I, what can I discover about huh. this? Mm-hmm. Um, I have some guesses. What's your guess? Well, I just guess that maybe her mother was also in that room. I maybe, maybe, maybe or, for or, a or a room or a room like it. How many rooms are like it? <laughs> the Aster goes all the way up to the top of the ship and is in this like control area that is similarly like, well, you can look out on the, on the stars and she discovers through a combination of journals and her own like investigating up there. Um, so she is briefly calling the, the metal substance that poisoned the sovereign and her mother, yep. an, an Eidolon. Okay. Um, and she and while she's up here on this new deck, she discovers its true name, Siluminium, which Sil- is a cool which is a cool sci-fi name for a metal. 
Siluminium. And let me describe to you what siluminium is. is It's a rare metal that allowed Matilda to travel at velocities approaching light speed by compressing space. Whoa. Uh, Loon, that's Aster's mother. Loon's poor opinion of the sovereignty was a joy to witness, as was her intellectual indignation at what turned out to be a significant calculation error. An error. An asteroid had grazed Matilda. The impact didn't break the hull, but it did dent the control area of the ship, metal pressing into the pipes that cycled the siluminium. The liquid leaked through a large portion of Matilda's upper crest, dying from metal poisoning days later. Oh. So the sovereign has been exposed to siluminium and to like radiation through, you know, because he's hanging out in the control areas like Aster's mom. Also exposed to siluminium, also exposed to radiation because she's hanging out in this control area up here, which seems also to have um, like some sort of a shuttle pod things stored. Um, But yeah, it used to it, it seems like it used to be that the Matildas like ruling class would be up here actually steering the ship. And nowadays, for whatever reason, it's mostly computer controlled. And she figures out that the link between the power outages that are happening now and the ones that are happening 25 years ago is that something happened to Matilda that made the ship have to like change its course. Oh, and you know, if you're, if you're in space and you're just flying, not to get on the Illagrass Tyson on you, but if you're in space (laughs) and you're just flying, like there's no air, there's no sound, like momentum and inertia will just like keep you going forever without really needing too much like energy use yeah on the part of you and, and your ship yeah if you got if you've got to turn or stop or slow down do or a whatever, burn yeah mm-hmm. yeah you gotta you gotta burn those thrusters or whatever yep. and that yep. takes extra energy and so in the absence of like a working siluminium uh oh. pipe system uh the ship has to take energy from somewhere else and it ends up being the shit the, the energy that that baby son normally would have generated for the lower decks so it is doing so the ship is now what we okay so if the x, mystery if x equals y equals z then yeah, so so the mystery now so the mystery was what happened to the sovereign and what happened to aster's mom and now the mystery is is aster's mom really dead are we sure that she's really dead and also why did what why the ship need to change do something 25 yeah. years ago and what does it need to do now what is it doing now? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, a lot of mysteries. I don't think yeah, I mysteries. expected so many mysteries. <laughs> I haven't heard um, you mention ghosts yet, though. So the uh, the unkindness of ghost thing, I really do hate to burst your bubble, but the it's just a reference to like the past. <laughs> okay, that's you know I thought that might be what it was. All that was I, left were the taunts and the crack of Scar's knee and the past swooping in on unkindness of ghosts. Sure. I know this is not the kind of moment that makes you like jump up out of your seat and pump your (laughs) fist because they said the name of the thing in the thing. No, I know. I I get it. I like it as a concept. I just wasn't sure if we were going to get like space ghosts. No, there's not. No, there's no space. There's no space ghost coast to coast here. There's just there's simply the past. The the ghosts (laughs) of the past. Yes. It's a symbol. These ghosts. It's very simple. (laughs) um how did you feel like in the moment like were these mysteries like pretty propulsive to you as a reader did you like you wanted to find out what was gonna happen next i I wanted to find out what was gonna happen next and it is you know i was 
interested in what was happening. Um, you do, it is, the book doesn't really take a super straight line. It's mm. split up into like four sub books that each of, each of which has a name of a different, uh, well, it's like, I don't know if school of uh, thermodynamics, metallurgy, uh, phylogeny and, uh, astromatics. Okay. So different like scientific fields. Sure. 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 Um, and each of those sort of begins with a like a brief point of view chapter from one of the other characters uh, that I've mentioned. So Theo, Giselle, and Mel- Melusine all get one. Um, that sort of I don't want to say it breaks up the momentum, but it is not like it is not a supposed to be like a page turning thriller where every chapter ends in a cliffhanger. It's not Dan Brownie. No, yeah, it's not. Fine. No, it's yeah. not Dan Brown. Which I'm sure River Solomon they would they would appreciate us saying. <laughs> Is this is not like a Dan Brown book, <laughs> and you, you also get it. You get it. The show Andrew, um, not a Dan Brown book. <laughs> you get it interspersed with, um, with you know, flashbacks. Uh, there are a lot of like traumatic and probably triggering for for some people um, sequences where Astro or somebody else is like captured and quote unquote questioned by some stupid guard sure. who assaults them in some way. Okay. Um, but it eventually, you know, it does come back around to to the mystery. Um, so what what ends up being the case? What ends up being the thing that happened was that you know I I, I don't know the exact like timey wimey construct the the relativity stuff that makes this be true like how time passes differently like based on the speed that you're going at or whatever slower but, at super high speed. That's all I know. But Matilda has been going away from a planet that I assume to be Earth. It's called like the lighthouse, the great lighthouse or something, um, because it's just passed into myth and legend yeah. at this yeah, point. Yeah, yeah. Um, but a planet I assume is Earth for like 300 years. And Loon, Aster's mother, figures that on Earth, it's been like a thousand years instead. Definitely. Yeah. Um, and maybe instead of just like going out into the infinite like inky blackness of space and trying to find another habitable planet at like sub, but not nearly at light speed. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what if we just went back and saw if the planet was maybe ready for us again? So that's another, that's another thing that brought Wally to, to mind. Yeah, that, totally. That's a, yeah. That ship's plot or well, that and, movie's plot. And that also brings the like interrogation of, antebellum south like what can we build in this place that was bad can mm-hmm. we go back there and build a thing that sure. is good for us yeah. or not mm-hmm. let alone the fact that they're still on this ship that functions like the antebellum south so i don't know you gotta fix that first maybe <laughs> i mean i feel like generally the the feeling among the lower deckers on this ship was that like it can't be worse than than what is happening that is now. True. like especially once yep. the lieutenant comes to power and they can't even make tasty food no more oh wow and there are like there are even more crackdowns and yep. like yep. some of that is because the lieutenant has it out for aster because it's like very um I don't know if lightly is the word because it's kind of it's strongly implied but only like one time. <laughs> Mm. So, but it's implied that the lieutenant has some kind of thing for Theo 
and is jealous of anybody else who oh, gets okay. close to Theo. So the lieutenant has this like specific hatred of Aster that drives a lot of the action in the book. Okay, cool. Um, but uh, man, what was I saying? I keep. We're we gonna solve this mystery. We're gonna solve. We're gonna solve the mystery. Um, <laughs> so Loon is like, okay, well, let's go back to Earth, but I don't want it to take three hundred years. So we're going near this black hole. Oh, so why don't we do? What they did in Star Trek for the voyage home, which is the one with the whales where they go back in time and they slingshot themselves around the sun to get up the velocity that they need to go backwards in time. Yeah. Loon wants to slingshot the Matilda around this black hole and just like fling the ship back toward Earth. Yes. So it only takes, you know, so it, it, by her calculations, it only takes like a year to get back there. Wow. Um, by the actual time that passes on the ship, it takes 25 years because what, you know, what was happening 25 years ago when the power was going out was the ship was being turned so that it would slingshot around this black hole. The reason the energy is being used now is because Matilda is trying to slow itself down so it can go into orbit around a planet. (laughs) Oh, so it's taking like 25 years to get back to earth. So somebody, Oh, so somebody was already doing this. 25 years ago. Sorry. Yeah, like Loon, yes. Loon, Loon did it 25 years okay. ago. Okay, 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 yeah. sorry. Yeah, okay. Um, because the the upper, like the, the control deck of the ship had been abandoned and turned over to a computer basically by, by the, the ruling class after the Siluminium accident sure. thing <laughs> yes. happened. And so unmolested basically loon can just go up there and be like all right let's let's turn this thing around because nobody is up there to like tell her not to do it it's an interesting like structural mystery for aster then because like she is not solving a thing that then makes her go we have to send this ship to earth it is discovering the mystery of like this is what people have decided or like this is what has been decided will happen yeah, by That's, by, my, this, by my these mom. were the the yeah. things set in motion by my mom. That's and cool. Okay, did my mom? Did she go back to Earth? Like, is she actually dead? Like, did she? If if we when we get to Earth, is she going to be there? How would she have gotten there? Oh, on the escape uh, the, pods, the little, you mentioned little shuttle pods that I talked about. Oh, um, and so the the thing that. So the lieutenant clearly gets out over his skis with respect to being a horrible dictator. And there's like a a riot that happens when he chooses to execute Giselle. Partly because Giselle has like started a fire on the ship and like a fire on a spaceship is not a thing you really want to have happen. No, it's the worst thing. Yeah. You only have so much oxygen in there. It's not great. Um, So partly because of that and partly because the lieutenant knows that Giselle's close to Astra, close to Theo is just going to like make this horrible example of her. Mm. Um, and this sets off kind of a riot and Astra like runs up to like Astra having, having figured out through um, other, you know, other things that are, that are happening. Like there, there are a few chapters where she's like looking through a library for these like specific books that could explain what her mother was doing and they were checked out by this guy yes, 25 yes, years ago. Yes, yes. And so she she tracks down this guy who like traded his identity with like a with a lower decker for money and he's like <laughs> This is great. <laughs> it's stuff. Like, yeah, it's this fun stuff. Good. It's 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 fun. It, it um 
yeah, it's it's it, this is all the stuff people are talking about when they're talking about the the world building. It's not just the you know, not just the the class striations or or the race striations, but also like what people are doing to survive in the, this like setting that Solomon has created. One of the three star Goodreads reviews that I read. Three star Goodreads reviews. Wait, was um, my guitar somewhere? Okay, I'll, I'll yeah, go. I mean, you know, okay. I forget how I was it a. I think it was three star. Goodreads. Oh, it's not in tune. Reviews. <laughs> That's pretty good, though. Uh, Katie, who really liked Aster as a character, liked the world building, said that she had trouble connecting with some of the characters. Her evidence for that was that when like bad things happened to the characters, she didn't feel sufficiently like moved to tears, which was an interesting complaint. Yeah, um, that's an interesting, Master. I, I could also see most of the, the characters in this are, are neurodivergent in one way or another, yep, and I yep. think that could keep people like neurotypical or more neurotypical people yep. from connecting to them on some level. There's also, uh, I'm going to interrupt this Three Star Goodreads reviews to reference um, the Rumpus interview with Solomon again, um, who talks a lot about depicting Aster at, through like writing about Aster's body, like thinking about Ast- like how Aster moves and makes gestures uh, and wanting to make sure that she feels like a tangible person mm-hmm. and talking about Aster like as like, having like a psychological reality that Solomon doesn't have access to, which mm-hmm. almost feels like kind of a reflection of how Solomon moves through the world. It's just like, I don't, I, I can't project myself into that person's head. I'm not going to try. I'm going to depict this character as like a real flesh and blood person. I have a quote for this when you're done making your point, but don't sure. interrupt you. Um, so we'll come back to that quote, I yes. guess. Mm-hmm. But the three reviews thing was that the world building was cool and lacked info dumps and what like what sounds neat about this mystery element is that you get to be in and this is how a lot of other kind of genre fiction works where it's like you get introduced to a character at a certain spot in the mystery and that is also what like kind of fleshes out that part of the world for you mm-hmm. like that mm-hmm. character tells you how the how that part of the world works and what they did to survive and whatever and then you're you don't need to meet you don't need like a big like and on level seven everyone has gone through xyz like yeah there's not some like charismatic like announcer type who's <laughs> dumping a bunch of info on you like aster is never coming upon like voice logs that she picks yeah, up and then plays sure. <laughs> like uh-huh. even though even though the book is about like her mom's journals like the the fact that aster just like has all of them and has only recently figured out how to decipher like them that. gives that part of like Aster has to figure stuff out an interesting yep. like flavor that you don't usually get. And even though it's a book that really revolves around Aster trying to like find what happened to her mother. Like there's a, there's a quote that I don't have immediately to hand about how people are sort of intrinsically driven to discover or understand things about the the people or forces that created them so they can understand mm. more about themselves even though that is kind of part of Aster's quest. Yeah. Here there are not big like melodramatic like you know strings strings rising <laughs> sort of moments yeah. where like Aster's having some tearful like reconnection with her her mo- mother okay. or something. Yeah. Um so that other thing I read was about um Solomon depicting Aster's body moving through space and like making yeah, the Aster yeah, yeah. Felt like so, a real so Aster is regularly described like 
she um for a couple sections of the book is is passing as a, a man named Aster and it's um you know the, she, she doesn't have a beard there there are some like male presenting things about her that she doesn't have but she doesn't have a lot of trouble um getting people to assume that okay. she's yeah that, that she is a man instead of a woman um but uh this is a section about Aster's sort of self image and, and how she thinks about herself. Aster occasionally through no will of her own worried. She wasn't pretty enough. And why pretty was a strange thing to concern oneself over. Pretty was subjective and fallacious. Pretty couldn't be replicated in a lab. She, as much as anyone enjoyed the prismatic sweep of amaranth in bloom and the geography of animalian bodies. Yet when applied to people, it didn't jive with her that pretty was meant for some and not others. More pressingly, it didn't jive with Aster that someday she wanted to be one of those folks who was prettier than the other folks. It was like wanting to be more vanadium-based or wanting to have orange-pigmented skin. <laughs> Arbitrary, bizarre, pointless. Still, she wanted it, and Theo made her feel like it was already so. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So there's like cool. a, a romantic attraction between them that does come to a to a head, like, okay. uh, you know, toward, toward the end of the book. But it's sure. all kind of part of their closeness, I guess. Yeah. Um, so how does this resolve? What does the ending feel like? People, um, there's a riot happening. Oh boy. Okay. And Astor decides, okay, this is, this is my moment. I put together everything about my mom. I'm going to go get an escape, get, get in a shuttle pod. There's one shuttle pod that I found that has like fuel in it. It's password protected, but I could probably figure it out. (laughs) Um, so she'd like the password that's protecting the ship. Her mom left her a note. Um, and it's a, you know, classic, classic stuff where the first letter of every word in the note ends up spelling out ad Astra toward the stars. Oh, okay. And that's the password for the ship. Great. And she opens it up and there's a skeleton in there and it's her mom. (laughs) Whoa. (laughs) So her mom, like, you know, gave, gave her life, like turning the, the ship around, like, and, and buying the people on it, including her daughter, you know, a possible future. Dang. So Astrid like does, she does find out what happened to her mom. Like it Put is spoilers at the f- front of the episode for a reason. We always yeah. do. Um, there's another password that, that is that she needs to put in to get the ship moving toward earth. And it ends up being odd Terum, which is, you know, to yeah. the earth. Yeah, sure. And the, the end of the book is, Aster, you know, on, on this planet where nature has reasserted itself, it does seem to be, you know, a, a livable place again. Okay. Yeah. Ast- Aster alone sort of bur- burying her mother, burying Giselle. And huh. that's, that's kind of the end of it. Like it does, she does get there. There is no tearful hug at the end. She, you know, she does get some closure. She does escape from this place where she was like horribly oppressed and abused but you know she didn't she didn't do it with theo it's not clear like when or whether the matilda itself is gonna show up and any of it's gonna catch up to her like it's you know it's a book that could have a sequel if it really wanted to i think it probably would have trouble being as like impactful as as this one yeah but yeah solomon seems like the kind of person who could who could do it if they they wanted to? But yeah, I don't I don't know if there's if they have any any interest in it. But yeah, there's it's a, a it's it's a it's a neat book. I I it has a 
it's got a lot of recognizable sci-fi and like fantasy fiction, like tropes in it, as I think we've identified a couple yeah. times, but the, like the perspective from Aster that seems and, to be, and yeah. from like Solomon is so unique that it really feels fresh and, and interesting pretty much the whole way through, even though it is kind of hard to read in some places because of the, the bad things that are happening to all the characters all the time. Yeah, which we haven't spent a lot of time talking about, but mm-hmm. like you can imagine what they might be given. I don't, the, yeah, I don't, I don't think there's, yeah. there's a good reason to like dwell on it for dwelling on its sake, except sure. just to, to say to people who are reading the book that that stuff is in there. And if you have trouble for, for mm. any reason, you know, dealing with that sort of thing. Like maybe it's not, maybe it's not something you should dive into, but I think it, yeah, it's, I, I think it's all interestingly handled. There's a quote from Solomon in, uh, this was from an interview on the four color girls book club, um, asking like what, uh, Solomon wants people to take away from their books. How should they be feeling? And Solomon says, uh, devastated, but like in a hopeful way. <laughs> I personally love reading stuff that is intense, that leaves you thinking about it for a long time, like a song stuck in your head. But I also really struggle with endings that are completely unhappy or don't offer some promise of a future. I need there to be a future that we can leap into. So I want people to come away with, quote, well, that was a lot, but that was bad, but it's going to be better tomorrow. Yeah, like Aster's Aster's still alive, Theo's still alive, Earth is habitable. Like there there's a there's a brighter future possible here. Yeah. Even though getting here was pretty was was pretty messy and And the brighter future rough, seems yeah. pretty undefined on purpose mm-hmm, in a way mm-hmm. that I like. Like it's not like, oh, it's clear that in the next book she will conquer this person. Like it's like, I don't know. Something will happen. Yeah. And then, you know, you, you, you do worry, you know, whatever, if some society reasserts itself on earth, like what is going to keep it from mirroring the problems that Matilda's society had in the same way that Matilda's society mirrors the problems that earth had. But, you know, there's, you know, there is always the possibility of something better. A better world is possible. Yeah. I like it. In theory. In theory. For some people in practice, maybe get there. Um, All right, cool. Well, thanks for telling me about this book, Andrew. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks for listening. I'm happy to. If -hmm. folks at home who also listened want to send us an email about this book or other books it reminded them of or just some ghosts that they knew who ghosted them, it was very unkind, send us (laughs) an email, (laughs) overduepod at gmail.com. That's where you can send those cool ghost stories. Uh, you can also find us at Overdue Pod uh, on social media. Thanks to Constance, Kristen, Joe, Aaron, uh, Joe, spelled differently, uh, Emma, David, Morgan. J-E-A-U-X. <laughs> Probably. More for reaching out in the past week. Our theme song is composed by Nick Larangis. Andrew, folks want to know more about the show. Where do they go? Overduepodcast.com is our internet website. We have the schedule for the month up there we have a little web player that you can use to to play the show in your browser or just download an mp3 if you still use some kind of a music player that goes off of local audio files for some reason i know there i know there are (laughs) of of what was the before the ipod nano the Mm -hmm. little the little ipod that was the shuffle i saw a photo of an ipod shuffle today yeah i don't what were we doing I anyway. think it was so so weird because it like charged through its headphone jack. It was a bizarre little, little guy. 
But Andrew's saying um, is you can get the podcast multiple ways that don't. Yes, you there. You yes, know. you can. You can subscribe to a feed, or you can just do whatever you want. I don't care. <laughs> as long as you, <laughs> as long as you listen. <laughs> Patreon.com/slash/overdue/pod is our Patreon project. If you tuned into our 600th episode bonus, or not, I guess it's not a bonus stream. It's just a regular stream. Our 600th episode extreme maganza that we yep. had the other day know that patrons get to sit in with cool streams and goof with us all every the time other month. every other month yeah. all the time um also <laughs> by the time this episode drops the poll for one of our august books will still be live i think that mm-hmm. poll closes thursday uh, July something whatever. Yeah, and for for those we uh, we pick we don't do the Patreon tier where people get to just tell us a book to read anymore. We do pick three books, usually around a theme, sometimes not. Yeah, <laughs> that uh, folks can can vote for their choice of those three books for us to read. So it's it's been fun. This is one of those, right? A yep. poll winner. Um, uh, yes, then, this was the this was the poll winner. Yep. Yes, and and you can get in our Discord server and and get uh, bonus episodes early and all kinds of other stuff. So yeah, uh, patreoncom pod. Craig, what are you reading next week? Sharp's Eagle by Bernard Cornwell. It's Napoleonic British stuff. Oh boy! But not on boats this time. Wait, and then in what way is it either of those things? They're they're <laughs> they're marching around on the Iberian Peninsula so Ooh. far. It's one of the top five peninsulas, it, easily. It is. They eat, they take siesta there or whatever. <laughs> what I don't know. Um, okay. It's I. I will share more on the on the episode. I'm sure, but like I'm both reading it and listening to the audiobook, and some of the British accents are like really wild. Hello, hello, gov. It's I can't even do them. They're so Oy. wild. Um. But yeah, it seems interesting. It's got like I don't know, like kind of master and commandery dad book energy. <laughs> uh, so it should be a fun pod. Okay, all right. Well, everybody, thank you for listening to our podcast. And until we talk to you, come at you with dad book energy next week. <laughs> Try to be happy. <laughs> That was a HeadGum Podcast.